You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Daniel Howitt's interviews with the filmmakers behind Soul, director Pete Docter, co-director Kemp Powers, and producer Dana Murray, followed by another interview with the story team, Kristen Lester, the story supervisor, Michael Yates, the story artist, and Afon Corbin, the story artist, and then finally concluding with the animation team, Bobby Podesta, the animation supervisor, Jude Brownbill, another animation supervisor, and Montague Ruffin, an animator. We hope you enjoy this early look at Pixar's Soul. What the... What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Cut it, go for it! Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first show's at 7. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say? Joe Gardner! <laughs> I did it! I got the gig! Uh, thank you all so much for, uh, for talking with me today. Thank you. I, I just want to dive right in. Pete, uh, you had mentioned the idea of this film was sort of birthed out of what you felt after winning your, your second Oscar for, for Inside Out. Uh, tell me about just that process and, and, and how that led to Soul. Yeah, I, it's funny. I'm uh, talking with Trent Reznor years later. He immediately resonated with the theme. And I think, you know, like me, he, he well, I'll just talk about myself. You know, the, I, I, animation was such a release for me because I was a socially stunted kid, uh, kind of scared to talk to people. It was a lot easier to draw them. And so animation was this way of communicating to other people. And I could I could do that from a safe distance on the other side of a piece of paper, um, and so I guess just over the years I sort of felt like sort of unconsciously taught myself that that would solve everything, and that uh, and when that didn't happen, when I realized well wait a minute I still have all these personal problems and you know uh, in my own life, uh, it started just becoming an examination of what is it that we're meant to be doing with our life you know we're not going to be around for a lot longer most of us um and it you know what is a life what are we what's the best way to live it and now we know the answer no uh but it was it was a good um examination of that whole subject um and i'm hoping really and i remember saying this to you dana when we first started working together is like i really hope that people walk out of the theater and look at each other and go we got to go get a cup of coffee and talk about this because it's not about finding the answers or giving the answers. It's about asking, getting people to ask the questions. Like you said, these are pretty heavy themes, the yeah. meaning of a life, finding your passions. How do you balance these pretty, pretty big themes while still keeping the film accessible to a broad audience and, and family audience? I guess one way of thinking of it is we think in layers. Um, Obviously, when you sit around and talk, pontificate about some of these things, you're like, what are these people insane? But then, you know, you put a, another layer on top of uh, really cool design uh, and then some jokes that are slapstick and some verbal humor. And so you just have all these different layers uh, that I think will uh, attack or attach to people in different ways. Uh, that's the hope. I think it's worked pretty well. Like, you know, it's funny when you, when I used to tell people the story for Inside Out, they would look at me like, uh, okay, but then you watch it and you get it, you know? And I think everyone being visually trained artists at Pixar, that's really, I think, a, a huge key to our success is that you make it visual. Yeah. Kemp, you know, this movie represents a lot of firsts for you. First time directing a feature, first time working in animation, uh, so I just love how you, how you, how did you come to this project? And then second, what was the experience like? What what were some of the learning curves in working in animation for the first time? Um, I came to the project. It's it's interesting because uh, in many ways I feel like working on this film has kind of been the culmination of a number of different things that I've done over my entire life. I mean, I was a journalist for almost twenty years before I even began to write creatively. But before I became a journalist, I used to write comic books in college. I used to be an comic book writer. Um, you know, I used to be a, as a journalist, I spent a lot of time as a music critic. I became a player, you know, I became a playwright. And I think it was my theater work, even before I started moving into film and television that, that brought me to um, 
the attention of Pixar. Um, I One day my agent just called and said that they wanted to meet me. So I said, why? What did they read? Um, I assumed it had been like a television show or, you know, some other project I worked on. It turned out they'd read one of my plays and they, they flew me up to Emeryville from Los Angeles and just sat me in a dark room and played me a very early reel of soul. It was about 40, 45 minutes long. Um, then Pete and Dana came in and we just talked about it. I gave them my honest opinions of it. Um, some of my thoughts, what I would do to make it better, to make it feel more like a Pixar movie. And uh, about a week later, I, I was on board. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, one of the wonderful things about working at Pixar is it's, it's akin to being thrown in the deep end of a pool. Um, and you either, I think, sink or swim. I, I, do, I can say um, it's, not, it's not an environment that I think everyone would thrive in. Um, I think that, again, my being a journalist meant that I had very, very thick skin. So that, I think, perfectly prepared me for the process of the Pixar Brain Trust. Um, I'm, not, I'm not particularly um, precious about um, my own writing. I, I think that I, when, I, when you have ideas, it's important to be really passionate about it and fight for those ideas. But my attitude is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight as much as I can for certain ideas, but then I'm willing to kind of like buy into what the group thinks is the best course of action and then go like all in on whatever we collectively decide which is something that doesn't often happen in television and in other environments that I've been in, when all of a sudden things start getting very Machiavellian. <laughs> and, and, it's, and so I, I think that in a, in a strange way, it just felt like a very natural fit from, from the first day that I got there. And understand when I came on board, it was initially as like a 12 week job. So imagine my surprise when two years later, I'm, I'm still, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in Emeryville, you know, as, as co-director of this movie. But, but I think that on both sides, you know, we, we approach things with a lot of caution when, when, you know, they approach things very cautiously, inviting a new person into the, into the group. And I was very cautious in the beginning, but, you know, I, I just fell in love with this film. I, I really felt like on a personal level um, that no one else should be trying to tell this story other than me. Um, and as a writer, and, and I think that's really a good sign in terms of how much commitment you're willing to, to, to make to a project. But it's important to also know that it's from day one, it was also very collaborative, and you have to be willing to kind of put that ego aside and work with the hundreds of different people who are all going to be an equally important part of getting this thing across the finish line. Well, at, throughout that whole process, throughout the past few years, as you, you know, you guys had mentioned, you did you know, research into philosophy and religion and all these things. So as you tell me, first of all, about some of that research that you all did. And also, I'm just curious if, if working on the film maybe changed your personal perspectives on, on, on anything uh, philosophically, religiously, anything like that. Dana, tell them about the, um, the shaman. Well, I mean, so much of our development process was speaking, as you said, with, you know, religious leaders and, like Pete's talking about, there was there was a couple shamans and they wanted to lead us on some journeys and we discovered who our um, our spirit animals were, which I found out can change by the day, depends where you are at. Um, but no, so much of, yeah, like I think the best part of that process is talking to these people, of course it opens up your mind and expands the way you think because you're just learning and you go home and it's like over dinner just talking about like Judaism or Buddhism or and so I think it it just it makes you better to just know more about different people's religions and perspectives and the way they live. So I think it's it's impossible to not let it affect you or change you. Yeah, I think there's such an easy uh, temptation to just judge like I know what's right and this other thing is wrong and then you get in there and you're like okay first of all I had this idea that you know like if you're Jewish you believe this if you're Christian you believe that totally wrong right there's like you talk to I think one of the, the rabbis told me you talk to four Jews you get five opinions uh, and and uh, it's like just there you can find all these kind of subdivisions of uh, and beliefs and and uh, as Dana said, yeah, it just makes you go, wait a minute, what is, what is this all about? And and I think they're all searching for something that's beyond, 
kind of human understanding or ease, ease, anything that's easy to communicate. You know, that's why the, a lot of religions and traditions speak in metaphor because they're, they're alluding to something that's bigger uh, than we can really fully understand in human terms, which is kind of also related to the kind of film we were trying to make, mm -hmm. which is uh, why it was difficult. Well, you, you can't just bring up spirit animals and not uh, tell us <laughs> what yours are. So I think I have to have an answer to that. Um, you know, some days I'm a turtle and other days I'm a fox. So. Which a turtle is not what I expected to hear. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I don't even remember what mine is. Do you, Kemp? No, I, I think it's a wolf. Okay. Nice. I always like elephants. Okay. All right, that works. You guys also talked quite a bit um, about this uh, this film. You know, this is Pixar's first film with a with a black lead, and so you developed the internal culture trust. I think is how you you, you refer to it. Why was that important to you all? Why was it important to the development of this film, and, and how did it help the film? Well, it was important. Oh, Kemp, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, you know, again, me me being on board in in a creative leadership role, it was also important for people to understand that, like, I don't speak for all black people. Um, you know, it's, uh, and, and I think that particularly when it comes to entertainment and, and Hollywood, um, it's sometimes people kind of put an undue burden on the one person of color in the room to kind of represent their entire people. And I, and, and the internal culture trust, you know, they're, 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 while animation isn't as diverse as we would like it to be, there are and have been black employees at Pixar in all different kinds of jobs. And this was a wonderful opportunity, you know, for all of them to kind of contribute their, their, their voices to the process, because it wasn't something where we just did a reel and then showed it to the culture trust. It, um, these different voices chimed in on every element of the development of the, the characters and the film, all the character designs, the sets, um, you know, the, the, down to the specific scenes. And, and I think that for a lot of people who worked at Pixar, you know, this is this is the first thing that they worked on that it, I think it had a lot of meaning, additional meaning for them to have their families see this film and it be the first film where people who look like them were being represented on screen. I mean, that's definitely the case for me. Yeah, and as much as Kemp doesn't speak for all black men, we don't speak for any, you know, so we realized we needed the help. We needed to know uh, what that culture was all about. Um, and yet I think, you know, as is hopefully evident by the design, like we're all the same inside. I think we all struggle with the same things in life. Um, of course we have some very specific things and differences as well, but, um, the hopes and dreams of, of, uh, trying to make the most of what you have. Um, you know, I think there is something universal about the film that kind of transcends race but at the same time is uh, specific about it. And of course, that's why we needed the culture trust uh, and not just the internal one, but you know, we had a lot of outside voices as well that, that weighed in. Um, you know, this is also a very musical film. Joe's a, a jazz musician. And um, we know that the film's got some great original compositions from the amazing John Batiste. I, I'd also love to know, does the film have any other original songs or, or maybe an end credit song that you're able to, able to tell us about? Yeah, we were just talking about Cody Chestnut is a, a great musician who did a song. I guess that's not technically original, is it? No, I don't no. Know how that works. But it wasn't released on an album either. No, it's, I think it's, yeah, it, I think it's um, it his original composition, but yeah, it's the first. recorded though for us. Yeah, he came and recorded that. And then, you know, um, obviously Trent and Atticus's music is all original. Yeah. Um, uh, John did a cover of um, an impression song by Curtis Mayfield called It's All Right, which we can talk about that because it debuted on Dancing with the Stars this week. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's an in-credit song. But yeah. That's great. That's great. And David, David Diggs even did a, a, a really tongue-in-cheek um, version of an original 1980s rap song that, that also plays over the, the end credits. That's but right. that, that one's not going to get any awards, that's for sure. And I think that's, on, <laughs> that's by design. Yeah. 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 Awesome. 
Uh, well, last question here. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from each of you, what was the most rewarding part of the filmmaking process on Soul? I think walking away with the movie that we made, just knowing that we pulled it off and I'm just, I'm just so proud of it and just working with the people we got to work with, partnering with Pete and Kemp and you know the relationships you build. Um, it's just all so rewarding. I mean, at the end of it, like after the final mix was done and kind of seeing the film on that big screen and, and, and Dolby sound, I remember like the, I kept saying to myself, oh my God, we did it. Like, because in the, in the beginning, um, not having done this before, it does seem like an impossible task to, to, do, to be able to do all the things and do them on, in the time that you, you're being given and have it be something really unique, really different, really nothing that you've never seen before from this place that seems to have done everything. So to, to just watch that final version of the film, I, I just kept saying, oh man, we actually did it. And it, and it really, you know, left me feeling so proud. Yeah, for, for as trippy of a film as it is, it is kind of like, who let us do this? <laughs> you know, uh, and I think for, for me, I also really uh, love the, the connections and, and uh, people that we got to meet, people that we probably would not have, well, from, from camp, I wouldn't have gotten to meet him and um, uh, John Batiste, you know, um, um, Dr. Cole, there are these people that just are, you, you are, you thank your lucky stars that you get to cross paths with them. You know, they just make your life richer and the experience of having been here richer, uh, that's, that's where I would go. Thank you all so much for, uh, for talking with me today. I'm so excited to see the rest of the film and uh, thank you for your work. I hope you like it. Must have been sudden for you. No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> oh, hey, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either? All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste, or touch. See? Michael, Kristen, and Afton, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today. Yeah. First of all, thank you. Thank you so much for this film. Uh, I've only seen, you know, the first act, but uh, I'm, I'm impressed by what I've seen so far. First, I'd kind of just love to hear about what the project was like when you first came on board. I know I'm sure it probably looked pretty different. Uh, so what were your first impressions when you came on board? Daniel, uh, can I just say that your uh, audio is amazing? <laughs> you're so crisp and clear it's incredible questions are as good yeah should we go in the order that we actually did come on the show uh sure, sure. Kristen. oh no uh, darn it <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so i came on very early on the movie um we were still in development i think when i when i first started on the film uh and so the film really didn't even look like anything when i came on <laughs> Um, it was, but it was really great in that, um, uh, when Pete pitched the story to me that, uh, I could tell that, uh, you know, my first, my first sort of impression was, wow, this is a story worth telling in a movie worth four years of our lives making. Um, it was so, it was soulful. It was philosophical. It was imaginative. Um, and so it was so... And it was something that I don't think I had ever seen or heard anybody tackle in animation. Um, and so I was both really excited and also very afraid <laughs> uh, because I knew it was going to be such a huge challenge, but it was so, I was just so on board when I heard, uh, when I heard what it was gonna be about. Uh, I think, I don't know. I think Yates and I roughly came, oh, I think I came on before Yates. Um, so when I heard about it, I was still working on Toy Story 4 and I was like, and they were like, you know, 
where do souls come from? And I was like, that sounds like a horrible thing to try and figure out. <laughs> Good luck. Um, and then um, we saw, I saw the first screening and that first screening showing Joe dying and on his way to death. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen a studio try and pull off. Um, and then later finding out that Joe was going to be African-American. Um, I remember we, I, me and Michael approached uh, Pete Docker and just discussed with him what his process was going to be for getting um, some authentic research into that. And then I feel like it was just, I just continued to start to gravitate towards that film. And so after we wrapped on Toy Story 4, um, screen, three screenings, I think we're, they were on the third screening, I joined um, in and uh, it was still pretty rough, but that initial idea, you know, I think you saw it and we'll never forget that just huge beacon mm -hmm. of, and that conveyor belt and just um, how intimidating um, of a concept it was, but also very, um, if we could be a part of it, how cool would it be if you could get it right? So, yeah. Michael? Yeah. I think I had like uh, similar feelings. I think before I came on, I was like, oh, wow, that's a, a tough movie there. Uh, hope they figure it out. <laughs> and then I think, yeah. I'm, I'm also finding this out in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think getting onto the film, it became like this thing of like, I think it was a different film than I've worked on in the past where there's so many unknowns where it's like, in certain films, you're like, this is how you shoot something. This is how you tell this type of story. But this one, is, it's so brand new that a lot of it just relied on us just throwing out ideas and trying to figure it out as a team. And I think that was like a really exciting part where you stop thinking about like, I hope they figure it out. And then it's more like, we're gonna figure this out. We have to figure this out. <laughs> And yeah, it became like a, um, probably one of my most enjoyable experiences, just from the pure standpoint of just being as creative as possible. And, you know, like you guys have all said, it's, it's pretty obvious this movie deals with, you know, massive themes, uh, purpose of life, uh, you know, small things like that. You know, how did you balance these huge heavy themes while still making them accessible to a wide audience and, 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 you know, families and young kids, things like that. How did you, how did you balance that? Yeah, that was a definite struggle. I think in the pitch, Pete was like, I think he said like the meaning of life, you know, for kids. <laughs> 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 and um, I think we found ways to still, um, I think it's things that uh, we think that kids aren't thinking about, but they are, you know, and uh they are asking questions like why and how come and we just kind of like tippy toe around it and we're like oh we won't talk about that now and i think it's almost kind of a real uh, in some ways like a relief to kind of um explore and have fun and figure that out in a attainable way especially once we got into the youth seminar which started to feel like this ethereal amazing um preschool um and uh yeah, we just, you know, kept searching for authenticity and truth and with um, our own experiences. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Did it was you... definitely uh, helpful to just, you know, there's so many people who work on the film at every given, at any given time. And each one of those people have a, an individual opinion about what brings meaning to life, what they feel their purpose in life was. Uh, and so, you know, a, there was a lot of time on the film that we spent just discussing with each other about what we felt was important in life and what gave our lives meaning. And through that, we were able to put all of that discussion into the film. So we felt like we had a very diverse, you know, a diverse opinion about what the meaning of life was. And that was really cool that we were able to do that. How did you balance those diverse opinions of the meaning of life? You know, I know uh, Pete talked about the, uh, avoiding really specific things about re certain religions or certain cultures. So how did you kind of uh, make a great beyond, a great before that sort of avoided some of these big cultural landmarks of what those things look like? Yeah, I think part of it is just creating something new, um, but always looking at it to make sure people are relating to it and um, 
it has like a similar feeling for multiple people of like, oh, I get this. This feels ethereal. This feels fresh, but also familiar. Um, and I think that's kind of how you avoid it instead of um, using specific landmarks or things that we recognize and implementing those. It's sort of blazing a new path. Yeah, trying to find some kind of common ground, like the mm -hmm. spark, the idea of the spark. I think everyone's trying to, in some way, figure out what their what their goal is once we get down to earth. And instead of being super like, this is the one thing, just having that universal, uh, universal thing that we can all kind of agree that we're all trying to figure out. Is helpful too? Uh, so take me through when Joe first gets into the great before he's exploring, just take me through crafting those, those sequences, um, crafting the story to make it not you know, uh, upsetting, <laughs> you know, like a, a guy just died. <laughs> how, did you, how did you kind of uh, tackle that whole sequence? Oh, man. I mean, one thing we tried to do strangely is we tried to make as many jokes as possible. Uh, <laughs> it sounds strange, but, um, you know, we tried to um, definitely, uh, you know, once he died, we tried to uh, elevate the mood. And we tried to keep it focused on sort of what Joe would be focused on, which is, you know, I have this gig, I have a chance of a lifetime, I want to go back. Um, and then just sort of as much as we could, uh, yeah, just sort of uh, keep it, keep it light. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing that really helps is he's kind of the only one freaking out. Like everyone else is real chill. That's <laughs> yeah, true. So yeah. you're just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we definitely, that was also true, is that we tried to make it so uh, everybody else was uh, ready and that they were calm and that they were happy about where they were going in opposition to Joe. Yeah, that was something that we talked a lot about, like um, that the great beyond is neutral. It's kind of like what you bring to it. And it's, I think that showed with like Joe's reaction to it versus the other characters. Um, and then just there taking everyone on this crazy roller coaster ride through the um through the um that space he's falling through which as, as a story department we um trevor jimenez boarded that so we called it the trevorverse where all those crazy lines are happening yeah. and that trent resner music is going on and we're like ah so excited about that scene it's just something we've never seen before he's having this crazy out-of-body experience so at this point the audience is just like we don't know what's coming next and then it's just that calm of the seminar like everything's gonna be okay um and just like um i don't know just really having fun with taking this our audience on this crazy uh journey yeah were there any sections whether it was in that part of the film or not were there any sections that you felt like you guys were getting too deep or too sad and you had to rein it in or did you was it was it easy enough to to balance the tone I think it was an experiment. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think we, you know, um, that's the great thing about Pixar films is that they, you know, they, um, they cross sort of many tones and feelings, you know, they can be scary, they can be moving, they can be funny, they can be, you know, crazy. Um, and so I think just sort of the Pixar storytelling is that we want to explore like all of these different emotions and feelings. Um, and so that was sort of our goal with the film was just to sort of make sure that, you know, we had a scene that made you laugh, we had a scene that made you cry, you know, because that's sort of the way that we tell stories. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. As you guys talked about, you know, this was the, the first Pixar film with the black lead so, and, and talked about, I think it was called, you guys called it the internal culture trust. Um, could you tell me about the development of that and, and how that team helped bring authenticity to this story? Yeah, uh, I think that was something we brought on pretty early. I think I was even on the internal culture trust before I was a story artist on the film. Hmm. And I think it was just almost like a necessity for this film. Um, just bringing people in, looking at stuff from like character designs to story points. And also just like having that group bring ideas that can further make Joe feel more authentic and more making sure we're just not making any um, missteps or mistakes and just making sure we're making the best possible film. And I think it was like a really overall super positive thing that added a lot to the film. Yeah, you know, I think with everything Pixar makes, we always strive for authenticity. Um, with everything and so culture is no um, no exception and I think um, Pete Doctor and the Soul team really wanted this to feel like a believable African-American character that audiences could go watch and be really excited to see themselves represented in and so we tried to do that with every scene that we had. And were there some specific ways, um, or, or maybe you could give me some specific examples from the, from the first act at least, uh, that that team helped bring some real authenticity to the story? Yeah, I feel like Dorothea and her band, that entire thing uh, grew and changed so much. We wanted to make sure that the character of Dorothea, Pete really wanted her to feel like a strong character without stepping on any um, cliches or anything like that. And her design changed quite a bit and then just writing her just right and then getting Angela Bassett in there. And she ended up, I think she's one of my favorite characters, character designs. Um, she looks amazing. And I don't think I've ever seen a character that looks like her um, in animation so far. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely, um, we had also sort of the external culture trust um, and groups of musicians who were jazz musicians specifically to come in and give us, a, uh, to consult with us. Um, and they, to Afton and Yates's points, they also influenced everything, like right down to if we want to talk about Dorothea, like what Dorothea is wearing, you know, um, mm -hmm. what her posing is, how she behaves. Um, Afton is totally right in that, you know, we just wanted to make sure that all the characters felt authentic and real as possible. Yeah, and I think another example is just Joe's mom. I remember one culture trust meeting where we were all just talking about our moms and what would our, what would your mom say in this situation if you wanted to, if you had this opportunity to become a teacher, but you wanted to go do jazz music. And it was just like using everyone's different stories and putting them together to make like the most real and authentic character we could. One, one last question here. Um, you know, we, we've talked quite a bit uh, here about the, the big themes that are in this film. I'd love to hear from each of you just some of the ways maybe you've been personally impacted by exploring these themes through, as, through the process of, of making this film, whether about your own passion or purpose of life, things like that. Yeah, we, everyone on the soul team now understands the meaning of life, so. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> I'd love to hear. You nailed it. <laughs> You'll have to wait till the movie comes out to find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, our ans I'm glad the answer wasn't like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, I think it was just a fun discussion on what, what really, uh, you know, what constitutes, you know, uh, achievement and success. And um, I think just working on a show with people that we love and enjoy, I remember thinking like, even if this movie is crap, I still had like, which I don't think it is. I think it's amazing. But in the moment when things got tough, it's like, you know, I'm having a really good time working on this with a talented artists and friends. Um, and uh, I think that is what matters to me more than anything else. And, um, and you know, just having that feeling and being able to put it in the work is really great. It's a great answer. <laughs> great. Well, uh, thank you all so much for your time. Thank you for your work on this film. And I can't wait to see the full project. Well, thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Okay, I get it. Wow, it's my life. 
Is all this living really worth dying for? You're still alive? Can you help me get back? No way! There I am. What are we waiting for? Wait, not me! That's weird. What is it? 151,000 souls go into the great beyond every day, and I count every single one of them. The count's off. Huh. First of all, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, congrats on, on this film. I've obviously only seen the first act, but the animation is uh, stunning. Uh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I really want to know, you know, this film takes place in the real world and in the great beyond and the great before. Is it harder to replicate real life and get all of those details just right or create a world essentially from scratch? What's more challenging? I mean, I think they both. Yeah, both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're two different, they're two different challenges, right? On one hand, you, um, we're not trying to copy the real world. Uh, we're trying to make it uh, not look real. We're trying to make it look believable. Um, there's there's an amount of stylization that is still going on, but you want to feel like you're in New York. You want to feel like you're walking into a barbershop. You want to you want to feel like it's recognizable and again believable. Um, and the same holds true for for the great before for a world that never existed. You want to be able to feel like it's believable, but you have to create it all from scratch. So you have to really kind of build a whole visual language that works together. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And one of the most unique sequences uh, in, the, in the first act is when Joe breaks out of the great beyond and into the great before and he's falling and turns abstract and black and white and all these effects. Um, definitely one of the most unique things I've ever seen in a Pixar film. Could you, could you walk through animating that sequence and, and kind of how you approached the look of that? Well, I think it started off in storyboard form as, as we always do. Um, the idea that Joe is, you know, falling from through who knows what to get to the, um, great before. Um, and what could that be? And, you knowing that the, you know, Trent and Atticus were giving us this, um, soundtrack that would be very um unique and whether we, perhaps we could use that as um visualizing this great unknown space um i think you know the, the animator was just animated by one person tim pixton um and he worked in collaboration uh, with the director of that particular sequence and um you know they spent a lot of time together fleshing out ideas and blocking it in very roughly and then um we have an effects team that came along and did all of the background stuff that looks incredible um so it was really like a big collaboration for that just that one little sequence there um and blanking on his name yeah i mean the whole thing is is pretty Bobby. amazing um and it, and that started in story first like this is the thing like everything else is started in story i mean i know when i first saw the reels of that film it was all storyboarded out and it had that feeling that I think you're 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 kind of talking about where I've never seen anything like this before and you know that's that's our hope for this entire film is and that's really our hope with you know all of our films is we're doing something that's new that hasn't been seen before um you know that is really kind of pushing the edge of of art his name is Trevor Trevor and Tim work together to create that amazing sequence. I love the entire look of The Great Before. Uh, it's very unique. And I'd love to just hear about the design of that whole, air, that, that whole world. And um, Pete talked about making it feel, you know, completely unique, not no identifiable culture, cultural or religious aspects, anything like that. So how did you approach animating uh, pre-life um, to make it feel unique in that way. In the soul world, we had, you know, the main challenges with animating soul characters was um, making sure that, that they would be clear and readable um, and that we could see the difference between the movements of a, a soul like 22 who's been in the soul world for a while um, 
gotten used to being there and has started to evolve. And then these new souls that don't really understand the rules of Earth, they've never been, they don't know. They haven't even seen as much of it as 22 have. So they don't know what gravity is. And so they just bounce around. It's fun. It's, it's playful. And um, that was one of the, the challenges of uh, animation was making sure that we have these dis these distinct sort of categories of soul and having them move a little bit differently from each other. And what were some of the most challenging? I mean, we've only seen the first act, of course. Yep. What were some of the, the, the most challenging sequences to edit, at least in that section of the film? I mean, in terms of animation, you know, in the, in the front half, you, you saw the, the counselor characters that came up, the kind of the living yeah. line characters. No joke. Really hard to do. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, just to be completely honest, I mean, the, our animators were at the top of their game balancing uh, being actors and being artists at the same exact time, working with, you know, brilliant technical folks to, to be able to achieve something that looks deceptively simple, um, which is fine, which is, that's the goal. Uh, but, but, you know, captures the essence of a, of a character that, um, you know, is unlike anything we've ever put up on the screen or hopefully our audience have ever seen before. Yeah, I, I take me through the, the creation of those characters because they absolutely are unlike anything I've seen. Um, you know, how did you break through with the single line drawing uh, kind of nature of those characters and then figure out how to bring those to life? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tests, right, Jude? I mean, a ton of tests the animators are doing and trying and figuring it out. Um, and then, you know, it's like you, you hand it over to the to the technical folks and they try to figure stuff out. I don't know, we're going to do this and whatever. And then you hand it back. And, it, it, you know, it's that kind of sense of ultimate collaboration um, to get us there. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate goal for us was obviously that we could animate it. Um, <laughs> You know, if it was a, just a pencil line, it would probably have been easier, but we couldn't do that because we wanted this um, line to appear from the ground in our three-dimensional world and have energy um, sort of rising up from the ground. And you can see, the, if you look closely, the particles of energy, this sort of moving all around this line and, and a membrane that fills this, the shape. And so it couldn't be 2D. So we had to come up with a, a rig that our animators could actually use that, that could um, make it easier to um, bring these characters to life yeah. instead of just moving up this line point by point by point. Well, uh, in, in the real world side of things, um, you know, yesterday you guys talked a lot about uh, this being the first Pixar film with a black lead. So um, tell me more about the internal culture trust that was developed to bring authenticity to the film and, and maybe some of the culture specific research you went through and how that impacted or influenced specific elements of the film? Totally. So um, culture trust. Yes. Yeah, so it, it consists of myself, Afton, uh, Michael Yates, and a handful of other Black employees. And also, too, you have the external culture trust, such as Dr. Cole, uh, John Batiste, and whatnot. Um, and, but specifically, the internal culture trust, we were part of conversations of whether it's the environments like Joe's apartments or the barber shop or the tailor shop, uh, Lilith's tailor shop. Um, and we were part of those discussions of like, well, what, how will we fill this space up? What would, you know, Joe have, um, even though it may not be necessarily uh, like part of the film per se, but the details, right? The details really matters to us. So being part of those conversations, we're able to myself um, bring our life experiences and share that, um, bring that to the table. Uh, research specifically, we took trips to like the National African American Museum. Um, we went to our local barber shops and tailor shops. We invited uh, guest speakers. Um, I mean, we really utilized the resources that we uh, could with the time frame that we had. Of course, you know, there's no such thing as like a cap. And by all means, I never felt like at any point that we were checkboxing anything. Um, everything was very 
driven to uh, tell the story as authentic as possible as we could. That's um, awesome. And were there yeah. specific areas uh, or, or elements as, as people get to see the film um, and you filled those areas that you were talking about, his apartment, uh, the, the jazz club, are there, are there great specific details that you guys threw in there that you're excited for people to discover? Yes. But I don't know if I should spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, but they'll, they'll watch it and they'll feel it. And then, um, yeah. Like, they'll feel great. it. That's yeah. great. That's great. Throughout the whole film, but specifically the great before, it felt like there were a lot of different artistic styles um, that really influenced the unique look of those areas. We obviously talked about the, the counselor characters with the single line drawings. Uh, tell me about some of the other inspirations or, or uh, styles or whatever influenced some of the different animation uh, in those sequences. I mean, a lot of that, to be honest, is coming from the art department um, and the set design um, and Pete and again him wanting to have a world that wasn't any one thing it's not being pegged to a city or a country or a, or a time period um, but that does feel like it can be a little bit of everything that is possible but then the the unique thing is you you can do that but you still have to have a unifying sense of design so it feels believable right um, just because you can do everything doesn't or anything doesn't mean you should do everything and, um, you know, I think, you know, Pete, uh, you know, and the art department or production designer really did a great job of balancing that out. So there's things that feel recognizable, um, but, but feel like they reflect a broad range of what's possible in the, in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the personality pavilions. I, I can imagine for the art artists who had to come up with those designs, you know, um, the idea of each one of those being a personality like excitement or aloof or insert personality type you know going through that as an exercise of like how can we make this one building its shape its movement its um you know things that come out of it you know rep represent one of those personalities is actually quite a fun um sort of experiment of like distilling it down into a, a building um so it's recognizable yeah, and, and tell me about the, the character animation when they, the, the characters are kind of uh, instilled with these personalities. Um, they, they still all look very much alike, but they do have their distinct personalities that are starting to develop. So how did you, how did you approach that? I think it had to be very clear when they came out of the pavilion you know, straight away, you had to be able to tell, oh, they look really excited, the excitable pavilion, you know. Um, and that's kind of what we do in animation, distill it down into, you know, very simplest form so that it's straight away you can see this character is high status and strong will. This character is afraid and, you know, um, uh, timid, you know, and, and a lot of that we put it in just the way that they pose their body um, and the way they hold themselves. So it's kind of another example of just distilling the very es essence down. And so when the character goes into a pavilion that says aloof and they come out, you know, in a pose, straight away you should be able to tell that that um, is an aloof character. And so that's, that's, you know, essentially what we do as animators. Uh well, last question here. With, with a film that has so, such heavy themes um, like death, uh, finding your passions, uh, you know, unfulfilled artistic expression, all of that, I'd, I'd just love to hear from each of you as artists kind of what you took away personally from some of these themes and what your experience working on the film, maybe if it had you discover anything about how you relate to the themes. In short, uh, life is a gift. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. I mean, I would, I would totally agree. I found, found myself going through this film and just trying to um, just appreciate it, just appreciate this moment, um, you know, to work with this caliber of artists and, and people and to put a film out there that, you know, not only will be of the time, but will stand the test of time. And um, that's, pretty, that's pretty unique. Yeah. You know, and we don't often realize that we're in the moment when we're in it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, 
as we have all across the world come to realize, especially now in these last six months, is you know, life is very unpredictable and, um, yeah. you know, and life is short. And so this film is hopefully going to give people an opportunity to sort of think about those big ideas, those big questions. Um, are we really utilizing our time on earth and our talents to leave the world a better place? And it's just like, it's really amazing to be able to work on a film that can pose those kinds of questions and um, for everybody else and for ourselves. Well, thank you all so much for your time and thank you for your work on, on this film. I'm excited to see the, the finished product. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to chat with you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interviews with the filmmakers, storytellers, and animators behind Pixar's Soul, now coming to Disney Plus on December 25th, 2020. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and we thank you so much for listening to our show. As always, we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.